great to be here. Thank you very much. It is, I am very, very excited to be here. Now, let's get the important things out of the way first. Every Sunday morning, a highlight for me is to go on Facebook and see socks Pastor Aaron is wearing. I just wore regular brown ones. I'm, I apologize. But I'll, I'll preface that a little bit. Are any college football fans in here? Are there, who are the Iowa Hawkeye fans? I'm sorry. Who are the Iowa State fans? I'm sorry. And I'm a Nebraska Cornhusker fan, so I feel your pain. If Nebraska had somehow beaten Ohio State, I, I brought a pair of Nebraska socks, but they got beat pretty bad, so I'm wearing brown socks. So. And by the way, I like to use my arms a lot when I preach, but I'm so exhausted from the clapping, I'll probably just let my... No, that was really good. I'm, I'm, I'm teasing. Um, as I said, I'm very, very excited to be Can I tell you a little bit about myself and my family? Some of you know me a little bit. If you've been participating in Evangelism Shift uh, over the last year or so that we've been engaged with you, a, a lot of you have not. Uh, I'm a North Dakota farm boy, uh, born and raised, as my mom would say, born in a barn, leave the doors open. Uh, and my goal in life was simply to grow up and be a farmer. I wanted to be a part of our family farm. And I went to Bible college and seminary and went home and farmed for 12 years and filled pulpits and did youth work. And then God called us out of that to church ministry. And so I pastored a church 45 miles from where I grew up in North Dakota for the last 21 years, two years ago now since I left the church. And um, God, in His grace, let me still be friends with farmers, and so every spring and fall, I get to go drive tractor or combine once in a while, and I get to scratch that farming itch a little bit. But after 21 years of being in the church in Devil's Lake, North Dakota, God let me know that my time there was done. He didn't tell me what was next. He just asked me to walk out in faith, and so I did, and that's when I met John North, I've met who's from Australia, started Evangelism Shift. And I became the point person for the United States, which has been just a great, great journey. I, I'm married to my wife, Trudy. We visited this church, I think it was back in July. It was the last time we were here. Trudy was here. You may not have met her or us then. Uh, but we've been married for 28 years. We have four kids. Our oldest daughter, Michaela, lives in Denver. She's a physical therapist, and she's getting ready to move back to North Dakota. So when I leave Iowa, I'm going west to Denver, and then going to help move her back to Fargo, which is about two and a half hours from where we live. Uh, our second child is Landon. He has an ag econ degree. He works in ag lending with a, a, a bank system called Ag Country. I don't know if you have that down here. Our third child, Chandler, is in his fifth and final year of architecture at North Dakota State University. And so I don't know where he got his artsy creativity from, probably his mother, uh, but he looks to be headed to that field. And our youngest, Sasha, is a senior in high school. We adopted her from Russia now just about 17 years ago, and so that's a whole story in and of itself, but she'll graduate high school this year and is looking at some options for after that. Um, but one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about before we get to our passage is this whole, some, your leaders have been on this journey with us called evangelism shift, and if I could boil it down to one simple thing, it really is just helping us learn how to live the life of a witness. Uh, we, we know that we're supposed to share the gospel. We know that that's very clear from the Great Commission, and the Great Commandment is the motivation for us to love our neighbor and love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But how do I just live as a witness? And that's what a number of your leaders have been on this journey to become, and I've been on that same journey. It's been amazing the doors that God's open, God opens up when we just have that heart that He has for people. 
And so this whole adventure that God is leading us on, as, as Pastor Aaron said, I really commend your church along with Faith Bible Church. You're, you're like the Antioch for the United States of America. You are going to be the place from which ministry is launched. You, you, you know, like I'm from North Dakota, you're in Iowa, we're like, we're from the heartland. Nobody knows we even exist outside of the coasts, right? But in this Antioch, God is birthing a movement that we think is going to spread across the United States. And, and honestly, um, even in the midst of this COVID pandemic, I was sitting in my, my home, I work out of our house now, about two or three months ago, I was sitting in my office in the height of the pandemic, and I actually got so excited about what we stand it. Because in this climate, politically, religiously, all the stuff that's going, I go, you know what? If churches in the United States would get back to our core mission of making disciples, nothing could stop that. Because no one can stop us from building relationships with somebody next door, across the street, the grocery store worker, who, the place where you buy your tires for your vehicle. They may be able to shut down this place, they can't shut down the church, which is not a building, it's people, right? And so I got so excited, it's like, and then it's like the reality of, okay, pastors and churches aren't ready for conversations, they're just trying to stay afloat. Okay, Lord, but this is really the way I really want to go. And so I'm very excited to be a part of this ministry and really excited for the opportunity to be here today with you in here, those of you across the street, or those of you who might be watching at home. Now, let me pray, and then I'm going to finally dive into the message. We'll get into our Bibles here in just a second. Father, thank you for Maranatha Bible Church. Um, what a joy it has been for me over the last year to get to know some of their people, to hear their hearts, to hear the stories that have emerged as they have tried to live as witnesses in their everyday encounters with people, how it's impacted my life, their stories, but the stories you've given me as well. And now in one of the craziest stories in the Bible, Lord, we're going to see the same opportunity now that was present then. It may be a unique way, maybe not, but Lord, would your spirit just fill this place? May we hear what you want us to hear, not my words, but yours to our hearts that would impact our lives. And it's in your name that I pray, amen. Now, I'm old enough to have grown up in the era of Billy Graham. Anybody else? I grew up uh, when, when his evangelism crusades were on television in black and white. Our family sat down and watched them on television. I loved the ministry of Billy Graham. And he's been gone, what, now a couple of years? But his impact kind of lingers. But uh, unintentionally, it kind of gave me the impression that ministry is, evangelism is best left for the professionals. Like, I can't be Billy Graham. I'm not wired as an evangelist. I, I'm wired as a teacher. But, but here's the line that I want to give you that I want to become kind of the thread that weaves together what I'm going to share with you this morning. And it's this, sharing Christ is not just for the professionals, but it's for everyone who calls himself or herself a Christian. I want us to get rid of the notion that unless you're Billy Graham, you can't share your faith. That's never what Jesus intended. And I commend Billy Graham and those who are gifted in that way for doing what they do. Absolutely. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, you and I have every bit as much of intentionality and purpose and plan and, and, and presence of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit in our lives to share what Jesus Christ has done for us. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? 
That is what God has been stirring in us. And, and, but here's, the, here's some of the reasons why we don't share our faith. Now, I'll explain. I should tell this about myself. I'm an introvert who likes to preach. I know that doesn't sound like there's a lot of pastors that way. I love to stand up and teach people, but you know what I like to do on a Sunday afternoon? Go home and take a nap. That's how I refill. I don't, I don't refill with a thousand people. It's like, give me a nap and a blanket, and I'm good to go, right? So I'm an introvert who likes to preach. But here's why introverts who like to preach, and many of us don't like to share our faith. Here's a couple of reasons. Number one, they're going to ask me a question that what? I don't know the answer to. And I have a Bible college and seminary education. I'm still afraid that somebody's going to ask a question I don't know the answer to. So, of course, you're going to fear that too. Here's another fear that we have. Uh, the second fear is they're going to reject me. Well, these are my friends. I, I, we live in a town of about 7,500 people. I've lived there long enough where probably most of the people know my name if they don't know me personally. But if I share Christ with them, they're going to go, I don't want to hang around with you. Here's a third reason. Third reason is I know these people. I, I don't mind sharing my faith with a total stranger that I'm never going to see again because I can mess up and go, whatever. But if I share my faith with a friend of mine in town and they're going, well, I wish you wouldn't have shoved your religion at me. I'm going like, I don't want to. Here, here's the fourth reason. And this isn't true anymore, but it's one that historically is true. Everybody goes to church. I grew up in a little farm town of 300 people. And there were three churches in town. My church, which was a Mennonite church. And there was a Lutheran church and a Catholic church. Everybody went to one of those three churches. It's, it's not true anymore, and it's not true in Cedar Rapids, of course. But really, we knew where the lines were. You didn't need to do evangelism because the Catholics went to the Catholic church, the Lutherans went to the Lutheran church, and the Mennonites went to the Mennonite church. So who are you going to evangelize? So with all those strikes against us, how in the world are we supposed to share our faith? But here's the key word in that description, sharing. I think I, I grew up feeling like I had to be a salesman for Jesus. But actually what we're doing is sharing. Have you ever made a meal? And we, we have a neighbor of ours. She's a single lady. She teaches. She's probably in her early 60s. Uh, we share food with her on special occasions. Last night when I was driving, my wife called and said our neighbor happened to make turkey and dressing and stuffing in the whole nine yards long before Thanksgiving. She called Trudy and said, I have some extra stuff for you. Can I share that with you? What if we looked at the gospel that way? It's something that God has given us that we simply share with somebody else. And if you share it with somebody else and they don't want it, it's not a rejection. It's like the door wasn't open at the time. So what I've gotten for you this morning is the title of my message is this, When Your Mission Field is Right at Home. And I want you to remember that because I'm going to be a bad preacher this morning. Good preachers like Pastor Aaron will tell you, here's where we're going. All this is going to make this point. I'm actually going to give you the main point of when, when your mission field is right at home at the end of the message. So it's kind of an enticement to stay awake to the end. So you follow the story because the point that we're really going to hammer home is right at the end of today's message. Is that okay? I know it violates all the principles of good preaching, but I'm telling you ahead of time, our main point is you don't have to be a professional to share your faith. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you can share your faith. And by the way, as according to the title... When your mission field is right at home, that's okay. You don't have to go across the ocean. You don't have to go to another continent. You can be right here in Cedar Rapids or whatever suburb that you happen to live in or on a farm. That's your mission field right there. Now, with all that as a background, I want you to take your Bibles and open it to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5. 
It's going to be a familiar story. If you grew up in Sunday school, you've heard this story before. It's one of the craziest stories in all the Bible. It's the story of a guy, we only know him by this description called Legion because he was filled with, does anybody know the story? What was he filled with? Demon. By the, do you guys talk? Do they talk, Aaron, at all? If I ask a little? Okay. If you just leak a little bit once in a while, if I say, that's okay, we won't, we won't tear the church up. But he, he was called Legion because he's apparently filled with a whole bunch of demons. And it's, it's really almost a freaky story. But what happens to him at the end of the story is going to have a principle for us right here today. But let me give you a little bit of background before we get there, because whenever you jump into the middle of a story, you kind of go, well, well, how did it lead up to this? Well, if you were to look back into Mark chapter 3, Jesus is choosing his disciples. It's, it's probably about the midway point of his ministry. His ministry was three, three and a half years long, so maybe he's in the middle. Jesus goes up on a mountain. He prays all night. God shows him, he's the, here's the twelve. Then in Mark chapter 4, Jesus encounters a bunch of people. He does some teaching on uh, the sower and the seed, some really famous teaching parables. And then something happens at the end of chapter 4 that is another one of those fascinating stories. If you were to look at, we aren't going to read it, but Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to the end of that chapter, the disciples and Jesus get in a boat on on the west or the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. I'll go this way. And they cross over to the other side. But in the middle of the sea, a big storm comes up. Jesus happens to be sleeping in the back of the boat. The storm comes up. There's water coming into the boat. By the way, I don't know why they got scared. At least four of the 12 disciples were, anybody know? Fishermen. Hadn't they been on this lake before? It must have been quite a storm because here comes the storm. Water's coming in the boat. They're panicked. They freak out. And Jesus is in the back of the boat sleeping. And they wake him and they say, Jesus, are you, don't you care that we're going to die? Jesus, I can imagine him kind of wiping the sleep out of his eyes. And he simply, he awoke, he rebuked the wind. He said to the sea, peace be still. What happens? Total calm. What's fascinating about what, how chapter 4 ends as a prelude to what we're going to see in chapter 5, verse 40, he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? What did he mean by that? They've been following him around maybe for a year, year and a half already. They've seen him do miracles. They've seen him, heard him teach. I look at this, one commentator described it this way. This, is, this trip across the Sea of Galilee and this storm is like a midterm test. Have you guys been paying attention? Do you know who I am? Do you know what this is about? Because isn't this the bottom line? If Jesus is in the boat, is the boat going to sink? It's almost as if Jesus was setting this up to go, do you guys yet understand who's in the boat with you? He's not really trying to make them feel bad as much to go, guys, this is a midterm test. You should be at a point now beginning to understand who I am. And it says in verse 41, they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? You and I know the answer to the question. He's the son of God. And Jesus is like, he's teaching them very strategically going, guys, you're going to have to trust me because what awaits us on the other side of the lake is going to blow your minds. I give the disciples a C on their midterm test because if I was in the boat with them, I would have been freaking out too. But passing the midterm test was a prelude to what happens here in chapter 5. 
And here's how it goes. I'm going to basically read through the story, make some commentary for you. We've got the background for it. I want you to see what happens, first of all, with this encounter. I've got to pick up my note here. Our encounter in the first eight verses, but I'll read just a little bit here. Verse 1 of chapter 5. And, and by the way, I use the English Standard Version. I forgot to ask which version you use. It should be very close to whatever you've got. Here it is, verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. You say, what's that? By the way, has anybody here been to Israel? A few of you have. Incredible. My first view of the Sea of Galilee was when we came up the backside of Mount Arbel on the west side of the Sea of Galilee. And you're coming up the backside, you can't see the sea, and then all of a sudden it's right there, and you go, oh my goodness. You know, when you're a Sunday school kid, sorry, this is a detour just for 30 seconds, so you, know, you can cut me off if you get bored. Uh, but when I was a kid, I imagined the Sea of Galilee to be this huge body of water. It's not very big. It's, I think it's 11 miles long and about 7 miles wide or something like that. You can see the whole thing from the top of Mount Arbo, and I go, oh my goodness, all the stories in the Gospels that happen right here, it's right there. But what's the Gerasenes? The Gerasenes, well, let me explain it this way. Is the next picture a map, or was that the first one? I lost track of where I am mentally. Thank you very much. There's the Sea of Galilee, all right? If you want to think of it this way, the west side or the left side is the Jewish side. We'll call it the good side of the lake, all right? The east side and the southeast side is the pagan side of the lake. So if you're a good Jew, you're welcome to be on the west and kind of the north, but you don't go to the east and the south because that's where the pagans live. So when Jesus and disciples got in the boat, they're kind of on the northwest side, the good side of the lake. They're going across Kitty Corner to the other side, to the southeast, where you say Cursa, Gergesa, Hippus, they're there. They're going across to the pagan side of the lake. I need you to remember that because if the disciples are good Jewish Jews, they're going in their heads, they won't say it to Jesus, why are we going to that side of the lake. I don't know Cedar Rapids very well, but is there kind of a good side of Cedar Rapids and a bad side of Cedar Rapids? And I have no, I'm not making any statements, but I'm just asking you the question. If, if that makes any sense in your mind, that's what the disciples in the boat are going, Jesus, we don't go there. But remember what they've just gotten in chapter 4, a midterm test. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? Do you know who I am? Are you, is this making sense? We're now, the storm is over, it's morning, the boat is going to dock on the other side, of the sea, on the pagan side. Look at this, verse 2. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately, one of Mark's favorite words in his Gospels is immediately, there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Well, that's kind of a welcoming party, isn't it? He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones." If you were one of the 12 disciples in the boat, and this is what met you on the pagan side of the lake, 
what would you do? I want you to look for something as I, you can do this while I talk, I don't care. I want you to show me any evidence that the disciples ever even got out of the boat. Look for it. They may have, it's not there. Jesus is going to get out of the boat and confront this guy, but I think there are 12 grown men sitting in the boat going, yep, not going to happen. <laughs> not today. Jesus, I think this one is for you. Would you please deal with this guy? And by the way, if, if I'm really being honest with you, and if I'm one of the disciples in the boat, I'm going, Jesus, would it be okay if we just pushed back and would it what? Go back to the other side. Everything Jesus did, he did for a purpose. If they got a C on the midterm test, it's time for the second half of their education, and boy, are they about to get it. With this guy who screams and cries and cuts himself, and he has this supernatural strength. Did you, did you catch that? If they put chains around him, he breaks them. He's naked. He's scarred. He looks horrible. He sounds horrible. What are they supposed to do? And he has this amazing, amazing encounter. So look what happens in verse 6 to 8. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him, crying out with a loud voice. He said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you, beg you, by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. We don't really know, and the commentators aren't clear, is this guy, through his demons, worshiping Jesus? Is he mocking Jesus? Is he trying to trick Jesus? We don't actually know. But this guy comes running up, screaming at Jesus, what do you want to do with me? And he's down on his knees in kind of a pseudo-worship kind of phrase, and it says that Jesus had been saying, come out of the man, come out of the man, come out of the man. This is like a supernatural encounter all these movies that are you're seeing on tv for halloween now these days i never watch any of them i can't stand it you're really getting something even crazier right here in this scripture and you say bruce what does any of this have to do with me our title is when your mission feels at home but our main line was you it's sharing christ is not just for the professionals it's for anybody who calls himself or herself a christian Here's where I want you to make a point of connection. I want you, for the next 30 seconds, you don't say this out loud, I want you to think of somebody you know presently that is the last person you would expect to ever come to Christ. I want you to think of somebody in your world, who you work, school, play, whatever, you go, that person would never, ever, ever, if he had 10 lives, he or she come to Christ. You have somebody in mind? That's how I want you to connect to this story. See, Jesus doesn't just save nice people. He doesn't just save safe people. He goes after some, of the, after some of the craziest people that you go, if there's one person in this world that would never give their life to Jesus Christ, it's him or her or them. Do you have somebody in mind like that? What would happen if God would change their life? as is about to happen here. All this was just part of the encounter. Now, in verses 9 through 12, set free. Watch what happens in verses 9 through 12. Verse 9 says this, And Jesus asked him, What is your name? 
See, in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, your name is associated with your character. Now, today, when people name their babies, they name them all kinds of weird stuff, and you have flowers and pictures and things. But in the Bible, you would name your child a quality or a characteristic that you wanted them to become. So, so that's why when it says the name of God or the name of Christ is important, because that's significant. So Jesus says, what's your name? Who are you really? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. We don't, that's not really his name. It's kind of his descriptor. Legion is a, is a Roman military term which could stand for like 6,000 soldiers would be a full legion. I'm not saying he had 6,000 demons in him, but he's got a lot. We is how he refers to himself. Verse 10, and he, that's the man, begged him, Jesus, earnestly not to send them out of the country. Well, where did he get this idea? See, if Jesus is present, the enemy is not welcome. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. This is how you know they're on the pagan side of the lake. What kind of meat do Jews never touch? Pigs was one of them. So either they were pagans or Gentiles, or they were non-practicing Jews, so that's how you know you're on that side of the lake. And these demons inside this man know that they're not going to be able to stay there much longer as long as Jesus is there. By the way, has anybody seen any sign of the disciples yet? Has, have they come up in the story at all? I think, folks, they're in the boat, which is exactly where I would be. Can I be honest with you? Verse 13 is fascinating. So he gave them, can anybody tell me what the next word says? Permission. And the unclean spirits came out, entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. But the key word in that whole thing is permission. They know who they're talking to. They don't just come out of this man because they want to. They said, there's some pigs, can we, in essence, can we please go there? Jesus says, you have my permission. Friends, look, when God's going to change the life of a person, he has to grant permission for you to be used, for their heart to be changed. This is his work. This is what he does. He's in the, I'll call it this way, loosely stated, he's in the permission-granting business. But it reminds us who's in charge our youngest daughter is 18 years old, and, and, and she has some issues. You know, I told you that she's adopted. I won't go into that story. But she still has to get permission from us to use her car or to use her debit card or certain things with her phone because we're still working on issues of trust. I'll just put it that way. When she doesn't ask permission and does it on her own initiative, she often messes up. What, Jesus, what these demons are acknowledging is, is we, we know that you're in charge. Would it be okay if... And whew, there they go. And this guy is set free while the disciples are still sitting in the boat. What do you think they're thinking at this point? That's crazy. Remember that person I told you to think about who's the very last person you would ever think would ever, ever, ever get saved? What if God actually saved them? What if God set them free? 
him, her, them. What would that do to your faith and my faith? Look what happens next. The fear. This, this is really unusual and surprising. Verses 14 to 17. The herdsmen who were watching the pigs fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. Now, follow along closely. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed, I don't know where he got the clothes, and in his right mind, and they were so excited. Did any of you look in your Bibles? Is that what it says? They were so thrilled. They jumped out of the boat and said, Jesus, way to go. I mean, sorry, that was the disciples, but the people on the shore who came... Were they excited? What is the word that it says there? They were, anybody? Afraid. Afraid. Why? Didn't Jesus just do a good thing? Didn't he do a miraculous thing? They were afraid. And those who had, keep going, and those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. What? That doesn't make sense. In a community this size that they must have been, they must have all known this guy. He, he, he probably had been married. He may have well had kids. He, he's the crazy lunatic who lives in, in tombs and he doesn't wear any clothes and he breaks chains. If somebody like that really changes, wouldn't you go, way to go? Instead, they're going, would you please leave? Sometimes when transformation happens, people aren't who are watching aren't going to understand. And, and you're going to have to try to explain to them what's happening. You might get this deer in the headlights look. Is like, and they're afraid. They're scared. But I want to talk about this man a little bit. Look at the change that's taken place to him. He's sitting there clothed and in his right mind. I, I'm glad I'm not in his position, but imagine what he's been going through for maybe how many years. All this demonic presence, all the noise going on in his mind. And all of a sudden, it's gone. My my parallel would be this. Uh, I I haven't been to New York City since I was a little kid, but imagine everything in New York is hustling. It's 5 o'clock, downtown New York City. What do you suppose the noise and the commotion the people's like? That's what I like in his life to be like with all these demons. And the change being, again, I said I'm a farm boy from North Dakota. One of my favorite memories is we were, we were harvesting. We're in wheat country, harvesting back when I was a farmer, and it was late at night, 11, 12 o'clock at night. My brother was driving combine. I was in the truck. and I, I just parked, waiting for him to get full, and I sat outside. It was one of those nights that there's no moon, and there's billions of stars. And I remember sitting on top of this hill, waiting for him, and I can hear the sound of the, the motor of the combine. And there's, it's just, other than that, it's perfectly quiet. And it looks like I'm just part of the universe. Let's go from 5 o'clock downtown New York City to a hilltop in Harvest in North Dakota. That's the difference that this guy is experiencing in his mind and in his heart. It's like, I've never heard quiet before. The power of what Jesus has done has just swept away everything. And this guy has experienced transformation like he's never experienced before. I don't think he's afraid. He's free. While his friends are in fear. 
Now remember, I told you, my main point of this message is going to come at the end. We're finally there. Are you still with me? The title of the message was, when your mission field is right at home, the main point was, you don't have to be a professional to share your faith. You just have to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Now watch what happens in the last part. This is, this is the part that's going to make our point. Verse 18. The section is called, Share at Home. As he was getting into the boat, so Jesus, <laughs> the disciples, I think, are still in the boat. So now Jesus is getting in the boat. It's about time. Jesus, we shouldn't have come here. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. Does that make sense? If somebody has transformed your life, don't you think it's very natural that you want to go, I think I want to be with you. I was going to give this message a subtitle. And if I had, the subtitle of this message, the main title is, when your mission feels right at home, here's my subtitle. The dumbest thing Jesus ever did. And here's why. Look at verse 19. Remember, the guy said, I want to go with you. Jesus said, he did not permit him, but said to him, go where? Home. To your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. The dumbest thing Jesus ever did. If this was the 21st century, and this man had gotten saved by Jesus here in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, you know what we'd have done with this guy? We'd have put him on a speaking tour. He'd have written a book. This would be an awesome movie. It'd be on Netflix, Amazon Prime, it'd be in the theaters. Think of what this would do to accelerate Jesus' ministry. That's how we think. Pastor Aaron, wouldn't that be what we do? He goes, dude, this guy got saved. Now he's part of our church. We, we, we need, this is going to help build Maranatha Bible Church. Wouldn't that be the logical thing to do with a guy like this? The dumbest thing Jesus ever did, and I'm being facetious, I'm not being truthful. He's, Jesus says, go home. You tell them what happened to you, and how it happened. Don't come with us. I can't speak from this precisely. Pastor Aaron can check me out later. I think this guy, in a sense, becomes the first missionary to the pagan territories in the Gospels. I think. Jesus could have used him on his tour around Galilee and to Jerusalem, and could have put him front and center. And Jesus says, I want you to go there. Go home and tell them about the mercy of God. Look what he does. Verse 20. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Doesn't say everyone got saved, but they, they knew him. Do you know what the Decapolis is? A few of you might, some of you not. Decapolis simply means 10 cities. If you were to look at this on a map, and, and basically, there it is. Thank you. That there's the Sea of Galilee, which has been the focal point of our story. There are 10 areas or cities. Nine of the 10 are on the east side of the Jordan River and the Sea of Galilee. One is on the west side of the Jordan River. Pagan territory. Gentile territory. The guy didn't just go home. He went through his whole region. He was saved in Cedar Rapids. He then traveled through Iowa. And everywhere he went, he told his story. 
I'm assuming some people became followers of Jesus, but so many people knew him, at least they marveled. But the dumbest thing Jesus ever did with tongue firmly planted in my cheek was, don't come with us and go on tour. Go home and tell them what Jesus did for you. Does that make sense? Depends on how you answer the question. You see, here's the deal. Most of you and I, or most of you here this morning, you're, you're not going to be famous missionaries, evangelists. You're not going to be Pastor Aaron or Pastor Greg. You're not going to probably turn the world upside down for Jesus. But do you live in a home or an apartment? Do you have neighbors? I've been hearing stories because of evangelism shift and coming back and forth here, how because of COVID, you are meeting people across the street or next door that you knew who they were, but now you've actually gotten to know them? Isn't it crazy what God does when he turns everything upside down? Some people have discovered that their mission field really is right here at home in our backyards. One of the strange things is, you know, if I ever, my wife mostly does the grocery shopping and the runs to Walmart, but the weirdest thing for me is if I go to Walmart and I'm wearing a mask, it's like, I don't recognize people like I did before. But the few that I do, we end up in conversation. The, the other day, um, quick story, and I'll, I'll say it generically. Um, again, I've been in Devil's Lake now for 23 years. I'm in the Rotary Club. I was the president of the Rotary Club for a year. And so I know a lot of people, a lot of people know me. Um, an acquaintance of mine, I wouldn't even call him a close friend, his, his son-in-law committed suicide here about two months ago. So he's married to this guy's daughter. They have three little kids. The guy was, the young man was brilliant. Um, so after the suicide, a, a month or so later, I just texted this guy who I know some, and I said, hey, I'm so sorry. If you ever want to talk, and he says, you know, I, I actually would really like that. So I would text him about every week and just say, how you doing? And I said, you know, if you ever want to talk, let's talk. And I texted him this last uh, Thursday. I said, how you doing? His reply was, I'm doing. And he said, I think I'm ready for that talk. So Friday, we sat down for a little over an hour of conversation. He just talked. I, I didn't share the gospel with him. And he was questioning things about God and, and their whole family is like, where was, you know, how come God didn't? And he was not so much bitter. He's still grieving so much. And they moved his daughter and their three kids back into their house, so it's changing the dynamics of their house. For an hour, I just listened and asked a few questions, injected just a little bit of scripture. At the end, I told a little bit about the book of Job and how Job never did get to find out what God was doing, but God was there. And um, he said about halfway through our conversation, he says, this is the first time I've really just had a chance to talk. He says, because when I go home, he says, I have to be the dad. I have to be the strong one for my wife for my daughter, for my three grandkids. And he said, and, uh, and I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm, I'm just so glad that God used me from knowing this guy for a number of years, not close friends, but that he felt safe just unpacking his story. God has allowed us to live and stay in Devil's Lake, at least for now, for a season, and I'm so glad because of opportunities like this. Now, you may not have as dramatic a story, but you've, you've got stories out there waiting to happen. I bet you've had some. Remember our main line, you, you don't have to be a professional to share your faith and to be an evangelist. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it's just, 
part of who we are. It's part of what we do. Your mission field for probably 99% of you is probably right here in the Cedar Rapids area. What evangelism shift has done for me is I, I say it, my antenna are now up all the time at a restaurant when I'm ordering food, whether it's dine-in or takeout. When you're filling up with gas, is there somebody next across from me? It, it might be just being friendly. In, in times of a pandemic, we should be the friendliest people, even if we're wearing our masks. If there's an opportunity to say, hey, I've been thinking about you lately. How can I pray for you? I've used that a number of times. You, friend, you will be amazed. I have met total strangers and asked them, hey, I like to pray for people. I, I don't know you, but could I pray for you? Liter and this is literally true. I can think of one guy who for an hour and a half unpacked his whole life story. I've never met him before or after. Especially in times of pandemic, there are so many stories out there. As isolated we are, God made us for relationship. People want to talk. Not all of them all the time, but some of them. You're equipped. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you've got the Holy Spirit, you're ready to go. You don't have to have all the answers. When you don't have the answer, what do you, what's the best answer you can give when you don't know the answer? I don't know. But I'll try to find out. Can you imagine, and I, I think you're already on this track already, if Maranatha Bible Church had the view that Sunday morning is the pit stop while the race is to be run the rest of the week. Some of you are probably going to go out for lunch after church today. Look and see if God has somebody for you just to bless or encourage how you're doing. Tomorrow when you go back to work or you're home, homeschooling or you're with your kids, that's your mission field. Do you ever take your kids to the grocery store or Walmart? You know kids are one of the greatest attractions for opportunities for the gospel. Oh, you got such cute kids. Or, hey, your kids are pretty wild. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got a challenge on our hands, but we sure love our kids. Yeah, yeah, it looks like your kids have a lot of energy. They sure do. Is there an opening there? You don't have to be perfect. You're not perfect, but you are sent. One of the themes of evangelism shift, I know Pastor Aaron's been preaching this, you're sent. Every day you're sent. We just don't see it. But I hope in the craziest story in the Gospels, the disciples still sitting in the boat, but they were watching and listening and learning. And when Jesus was gone, you don't think that this story didn't have an impact on how they shared their faith years later? It sure did. Father, thank you for these crazy, goofy stories that you chose to put in your word. They tell us so much, especially if we look under the hood a little bit and see what was happening and what wasn't happening, who was talking, who wasn't talking. Father, if you can save a crazy guy filled with demons like this, you can save our neighbor across the street. We can't save anybody, you do, but you invite us to be part of the process, planting seeds, cultivating the ground, and sometimes being part of the harvest, Lord, right here in Cedar Rapids in the surrounding towns. May we just have this idea that we're sent. Some places the harvest is white and ready, just ready to pick low-hanging fruit off the tree. For some, it's just an initial conversation, an opportunity to pray. But may we remember, for those who aren't going to go to the other side of the globe, that it's just fine to have a mission field right here at home. It's in your great name we pray. Amen.